I'll just tell you what I told the first service. My wife and girls have had probably one of the best weeks that they've had in a really, really long time. And that's because from Monday morning till about yesterday, I had no voice at all. Um, I mean, I was really just like at a whisper. I had meetings with a couple of people this week, and they would attest to that. Uh, so God gave me enough voice to get through the first service, and I told them, I was like, I'm going to try to dial it back. But man, when you're preaching God's word, it is real tough to dial it back. And then the worship team nailed me because King of Kings is like my favorite song, so I can't just stand over there. Uh, so you can tell, like the voice is already going. I might have 15 minutes in me and we get out early. So see. Uh, but no, God is good, and uh, I, it's an honor to be able to preach this word one of the reasons that we've had, maybe you've noticed over uh, the last few weeks as we've been in First John, uh, we've had different people come up, read the text beforehand, the whole text, is because we want you to just be familiar with God's Word. The Scriptures actually tell us to give ourselves to the public reading of Scripture and to prayer, and so we've been doing that. Um, but hopefully, as, as we've read today, as Jason read the text, hopefully today you will have seen and noticed um, that we're actually coming to the second of two great themes in the book of 1 John. Uh, the two great themes are light and love, and that's why we've called this sermon series Living in Light and Love. To live in light, as we've said before, is to, to live under the commands of God, live in obedience to God and His commands. We learn real early on that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So God's light is a reference to God's holiness. And because God is holy um, and has given us commands, then we obey His commands, and we live in light in that way. What will happen now is that John will bring up the second great theme of living in love. The book of 1 John is a relatively short book. Love and words related to love are used roughly 45 times in this book. Each chapter, over and over and over again, will keep coming back to this big theme of what it means to live in love. Charles Spurgeon, anybody heard of Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon, anybody? A couple of, yeah, there you go. It's good. Spurgeon said this about 1 John, love is the word that perfumes the entire letter, okay? So like almost this entire letter, love talks about it in some, some way. But here's the problem. Another commentator said this, words are like dollar bills. The more they are in circulation, the more they wear out, right? Love is one of those words. We use it all the time. We use it when we talk about Christian things, spiritual things, biblical things, but throughout our culture, love is so used and overused and misused and misunderstood to the point where when I get up and I say, we're going to talk about love, people start to fall asleep. I mean, like, we already know everything the Bible says about love, right? We already know what love is. And one of the things that we have to discern and we, what we have to do is try to, like, kind of pull apart culture's definition and understanding of love. We tell our daughters all the time, everything preaches, Right? All the TV shows that you watch, all the music that you listen to, all the social media that you're involved in, the books that you read, everything preaches. And one of the most prolific messages that culture preaches is messages about love, right? And so we need to be able to discern between what culture is preaching about love and what the Word of God is preaching about love. In order to do that today, I will share with you some pictures that you will find both comical and important because this is the way that culture preaches love to us. Now, football fans, how many football fans do we have out here today? Okay, Most of them are, were at the 9 o'clock service because the championship game uh, is at noon and so they want to be there for that, right? But we've been being preached. Did you know that football has been preaching us a message of love over the last couple of months? Did you know that? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? This right here. 
Oh, yeah, Travis and Taylor. You know they had to come up in a sermon sometime soon, right? Last week, Travis scores a touchdown. He gives the heart. And then I, somebody told me between the services it wasn't even really to Taylor. It was to one of the Buffalo Bills fans who was being a jerk. But I like this. This works, right? Taylor thought it was to Taylor, so that's all that matters. But I don't know about your household, but my household with some junior high girls, man, Travis and Taylor has been all the rage, right? Why do we love stories like this? Most of you are like, we don't love stories like this. But for those of you who do, we love love stories, right? We love to read about the love stories. From the time you're young, you like to read about the love stories and hear the love stories. Why? Because maybe there's just like this, that possibility that there is actually a love story, right? Maybe I could be part of a real love story. And the sentimentalism of it all, it feels really good. The emotionalism of it all feels really good. And it's a lot of feel. And so then Travis goes like this, and Taylor goes like this, and everybody else goes, oh, so beautiful, right? Preaching a message about love right there. Here's another place where love is just preached, right? Yes, social media and and instant messaging and uh, text messaging. You can love someone like this. Watch, ready? You can love someone like this right there. Now, if you're old, you don't go, you don't use thumbs. What do you do? You got to go right there, right? Okay, sorry, right? You can love someone just like that little touch of a button. And you know what the best part is? If you love it and then you don't love it anymore, you can unlove it, right? You can unlike it and unsubscribe and cancel and all that. But social media preaches a message. It's so easy to love. I saw that picture of that puppy dog. Love, yes. I saw that picture of that cat. Hate. So we're good, right? We got cat people in here today. Note to self. Another place that love is preached to us. No reactions? Come on. TV, movies, all those things. And look, man, there's nothing wrong with a good Hallmark movie at Christmas. Can I get an amen? Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. (laughs) No, but if we think that the sum total of love is Hallmark movies, we got a real truncated view of love. Farmer wants a wife. I just put that up there because it struck me the other day as I'm watching football. And then farmer wants a wife? Really? So you're going to get a bunch of redneck farmers, who probably aren't really farmers, and you're going to say that we're going to bust in a bunch of women and we're going to pick out a wife for each of them to see if they can live on the farm together. And then love will just make itself happen, right? Of course, The Bachelor, not sure why he's wearing a pink suit, but all of those things show us ways that culture preaches love to us. One that I didn't include up there, and probably the one that, that preaches a message of love more than any of that I've covered so far, would be this one. Music. No matter what genre of music that you're into, every genre of music preaches messages about love. And it's usually something about emotionalism, sentimental, uh, sentimentality, feelings-based and I would say, look, there, there's nothing wrong with feelings of love. I love my wife. And 20 years later, I say, I have feelings of love for my wife, feelings of love for my girls. Valentine's Day is coming soon. Note to us men, right? Feelings of love are great. But if that's the sum total of our understanding of love, what happens when the feelings go away, right? And that's why it's important for us to understand there's more to love than that. I'll put up this last one. This is how, again, cultural ideas of love have pervaded the church. The idea, Rob Bell wrote a book, this is old news, but it's called Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived, right? It's teaching something called universalism, that basically love is going to win out, God's love is going to win out, and then everybody gets to go to heaven no matter what. That's a false view and understanding of love, but it feels really nice and preaches really good. 
The sign on the bottom there, that uh, I've seen a church right close to my house. It sounds really nice. All are loved, welcomed, affirmed, always. And we want to be a place where people are loved. But here's, here's the faulty reasoning inherent in that sign, that love equals affirmation. For any of us who are parents, we know that that's not always the case. That there's not a one-to-one correspondence between love and, and affirmation. That just because I love someone doesn't mean I have to affirm everything about that person, Right? And so we know that culture is preaching us messages about love. And our job is to understand what God's word has to say about love. That if God's word is our standard, and if God's word is what defines life for us, then God's word is what defines love for us. So I'll give you just a biblical picture of love before we dig into 1 John by talking about a few quick places. You don't have to turn to all these. They'll be familiar to you. John chapter 13, the gospel of John, the same man who wrote 1 John, writing the gospel of John, John chapter 13, uh, it's known as uh, the foot washing passage, many of you are familiar with it, and it says that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with the guys in the upper room, and it says, now having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the, remember what it says, the full extent of his love, he showed them the full extent of his love, and you know how he did it? When I preached this message on John 13 back in 2020, 2021, I actually brought on stage a toilet brush, toilet bowl brush. Some of you haven't been here very long. You're like, does he do that? He does. Right? And I said, when, John, or when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, we think, oh, that's really cute. Let's put that in our wedding. It'll be great. But what Jesus was doing in that day was akin to if I invited Jason Best over to my house And he came to my house, and I met him at the front door, and I had toilet bowl cleaner and a toilet brush, and I said, here you go, come on in, that toilet hasn't been touched for a week, if you could go ahead and clean that, that'd be great, right? It was like the most menial job that a servant could have, and it says that Jesus showed the full extent of his love by doing that selfless, service-based act for them. That's love. Now, that might not be this kind of love, right, but that's love. 1 Corinthians 13, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but as a pastor, I've done a few weddings, and I've included it in a lot of them, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast, love does not, all of those different things that it talks about, those are all selfless and uh, uh, self-serving, serving other people. And the idea behind that is what? Like, this is a biblical definition of love. It has nothing to do with me and myself and my feelings, but it has everything to do with the other person and serving other people. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, Jesus' words, greater love has no one than this that a man, what? Lays down his life for his friends, right? Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still, what? Sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and what? Sent her roses on Valentine's Day right? Brought her chocolate, took her on, no, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. John 3, 16, the greatest verse uh, on love in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he, that he gave, that he sacrificed, that the God of the universe sacrificed. And so what I want you to see in those is that while we have these pictures of cultural love that I put on the screen behind me, we have with us always pictures of the love of Christ and of biblical love. They're even presented right here today on the stage with me. That 
is the greatest picture of love that anyone can ever see. We don't have that there just so that it's a decoration. Like, oh, we're at church. We better throw in a cross. Like, that is to remind us every time we come in here, that's why we're here, right? The gospel of Jesus, the love of God in Christ Jesus. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ hung on that cross and died for us, right? That's the picture. Here's the beautiful thing about doing communion today. That's the picture. God gave us this picture to communicate something about his grace to us in Christ Jesus. Every time we take those elements, it's not just like, oh, that's a weird little piece of bread and a cup of juice that's a little bit too full, and if I'm not careful, I'm going to spill it on myself, right? This is, this is us saying something tactile and something real that shows us a real picture of the love of God in Christ Jesus to remind us of what he's done for us. That's the picture of love. So that's the picture of love that we've got to take any time we come to 1 John or any other book of the Bible, we start talking about love. I need us to be thinking about self-sacrifice, not self-actualization. I need us to be thinking about serving others, not serving ourselves. I need us to be thinking about more than just feelings. I need us to be thinking about action and doing. And that will help us get where we need to go as we talk about love from this text. Here's how biblical love works. God initiated in loving us, right? God initiated the relationship in loving us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We then respond by loving God and loving other people. That's our response. We respond to God. God's love is always initiatory. Our love is always responsive, okay? And we respond by loving God, and, and we, respond, we show our love for God by loving other people. So that's where John's going to go in our verses today. Verses 7 and 8 are like a transition, two transition verses. They're going to get us, he's talked about obedience, generally speaking, right? Walking in the light, obeying God's commands, um, and living in obedience, generally, to the most specific aspect of obedience that we can have, and that is our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says this in verse 7, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, that's another translation would be dear friends. He's already said my dear little children. He's saying my dear friends. He loves them, has a relationship with them. He says, I am writing you no new command, but an old command that you had from the beginning. The old command is the word that you have heard. At the same time, verse 8, it is a new command that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. And you look at that and you think, well, which one is it, John? Are we talking old command? Are we talking new command? You're like, the sermon text a title doesn't make much sense, right? And new old command, like, what is that? And these verses are a little bit hard to understand as well. Is it an old command? Is it a new command? And your pastor says, it's both. Let me explain what that looks like. When he says this is an old command that you have had from the beginning, there's a couple of ways to look at that. First of all, let's go back and think about the Old Testament. Now, most of us, when we think about the Old Testament, we think about a couple of things. We think about God's rules and God's wrath, right? Most people generally, when you think Old Testament, you think, man, there were a lot of weird rules in there, amen, right? If you're not sure, I've got a, a bowl in the back and a big knife, I'll bring them out and I'll show you, no? Like, we are doing our Imhoff family read through the Bible this year, um, someone challenged us to do it, so we're all doing it. And, and this past week, we got to, like, past Exodus 20. And if you guys know anything about, like, past Exodus 20, dude, it's weird, okay? 
And the girls are like, Dad, this is really weird. Why are they doing all this stuff? And how much longer is it going to be? And I'm like, it's about three months, ladies, and we'll be, you know, maybe into Joshua before. Yeah. But you read all of that, and you're like, what is going on? And they've been asking questions and things like that. We think about law. Like, what are all these weird laws? And then we think about God's wrath. You think God seems angry, capricious. He seems like he's always out to get somebody. Why is that? And so most of us, when we think Old Testament, we don't really think love, right? We don't think about this idea that, like, God is a God of love, and, man, we should love each other when we think Old Testament. We think rules and wrath. But let me show you how love pervades the Old Testament, just in two concepts. The first concept is the concept of covenant, okay? There's a Hebrew word, it's hesed, and it means covenant faithfulness. It's one of the ways that they used to say love, that they loved each other, but it was the inherent meaning was a a deep-seated faithfulness. And a covenant wasn't just a contract where two people signed it, and if one person broke it, then they could get out of it. A covenant that God made with his people was a covenant that they weren't, he wasn't getting out of and walking away from. And so covenant faithfulness runs from Adam, okay, all the way through the Old Testament, the idea of God's faithfulness to his people. He made covenants with individuals. He made covenants with groups of people. He made covenant with the nation of Israel specifically. And there's something in there in Jeremiah called the new covenant, which we just celebrated in the death bear, in the, in the, uh, communion. And God's covenant faithfulness is one of the threads that runs through all of the weird stuff. So when you're reading through your Bible reading stuff and you're like, man, Leviticus 18, day of atonement, that's really weird. But it's really important for us to understand what it was that Jesus was actually accomplishing on the cross, right? And so we don't think just rules and wrath, we think covenant faithfulness. When we think about rules, that's the other piece. You have covenant faithfulness, and yes, you have law, right? And most of us think law, bad, Jesus, good, law, bad, grace, good. Remember what Jesus said about the law? I didn't come to abolish that law. I came to fulfill it. And he also said, hey, by the way, if you take any little piece out of that, you're in big trouble, right? And here's the point of the law. I want you to think about the law in this way. The law is the personal loving instruction of our omniscient father, telling his children how to live their lives for maximum fulfillment, right? Personal instruction of an omniscient, loving, heavenly father telling his children, here's how you live for maximum fulfillment. And probably, one of the, again, one of the best ways to look at that and think about that is like in the way that people parent their kids or should parent their kids, right? I don't believe in free-range parenting for the same reason I don't believe in free-range Christianing, Right? You don't just turn them loose, and I I bet if I just turn those kids loose on their own and don't do anything about it, they'll turn out really good. They'll turn out perfect. No, right? We have rules. We have law in our house. We have rules. We have, you abide by these things. You obey these things. Why? Because dad's a jerk? Because dad is mean and angry? Because dad loves to have power? No, because I know that they need rules as the guidelines to lead them toward the maximum fulfillment of life. Now, let me ask you this. Are they going to always think, man, maximum fulfillment. I can't have social media. I am maximally fulfilled because my dad is protecting me from all the evil. No, right? They're going to fuss about it and be upset about it and all those things. But at the end of the day, those rules are me saying, like, I've been down the road. I've been there before you. I love you. And I want you to see that this is the way that fulfillment happens. Church, that's God's laws. Now, Are we glad that many of those Old Testament laws are fulfilled in Christ? 
Remember the bull and the knife that I was talking about? Yeah, we're very thankful that our worship service looks different than an Old Testament worship service. Although sometimes I wonder, maybe it would be really fun to just go Old Testament and see what happens. You guys want to do that at some point? All the men are like, yeah, and a few of the women are like, yeah, really? It'll be elk season. We'll just, no. Okay, I digress. <laughs> no. So when he talks about old, I want you to see, he says this is an old commandment, that the commandment to love has been around as long as we have been around. That the commandment to love runs throughout all of Scripture. Specifically, when Jesus is asked, you remember in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he throws in a bonus, right? Like a 1B. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you think Jesus just made that up, kind of pull it out of thin air? It's kind of like, I think this is a good add-on. We'll put that in. No, he's quoting Leviticus 19.18. He's quoting the Old Testament law, right? Because love has always been the foundation that holds up God's word. Love has always been the expectation. So when John writes this in 90-something A.D., John is saying, this is the this is the commandment that's been around for a long, long time. In addition to that, he says this is the command that you, his readers, have had from the beginning, and it is the word that you, his readers, have heard. So we know this is something that as long as these people have been believers, from the moment that they started walking with Christ, this is something that they've known about, that love was something. John, John's not coming in now saying, hey, the Lord's been gone for a bunch of years. We've done this church thing for a quite a long time, I'm going to tack an extra one on for us, right? Love each other. No, he's saying, this has been around. This is something that's always been the expectation. But then in verse 8, he says, this is, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. What in the world is he getting at there? In that language, you could say new in a couple of different ways. You could use a word called kairos, which maybe you have heard before, that relates to time. And if you wanted to say something was chronologically new, like I got a new car and that car was the 24 model, not the 22 model, you could use the word kairos. This is a new car, a new TV, chronologically new. There was another word, kainos, and that word was used for new, in, uh, something that was new in, in essence, uh, <clears throat> uh, new in quality. Uh, not a new definition, a new illustration. And that's what he's saying, that, that, that Jesus then takes an old commandment and gives it a new application, a new understanding, gives us a better understanding, a fuller, more complete picture. So when he says it is a new co commandment, he's saying Jesus has completed our picture of love. And then he'll go into that a little bit more. But before we go there, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 13. John 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. Because John, as an old man in 1 John 2, is actually just saying the same thing that he heard Jesus say when John was a young man in the Gospel of John. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, a new commandment, Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, by the way, this is the same chapter as that foot washing happened, same night, same event, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And in that moment, when Jesus is there with his disciples and he's already served them by washing their feet, he's going to show them an even fuller extent of his love on the cross the next day. He says, this is how you know what love is. You watch me. You see me. You understand how I love people. Like my definition of love is how you define love. My experience of the experience you have of love with me is how you experience. The way that I display love is how you display love. And that's what Jesus is saying. And John records it in the Gospel of John. Then you come back to 1 John. And you can go back to 1 John chapter 2. And when he says, I'm writing a new command which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He's saying that the foundation, the motivation for our love of others is Jesus' love for us. That's how it always works. That we define love the way that Jesus defined love, that we exemplify love the way that Jesus exemplified love, and that the motivation and the foundation for our love for other people Church, it's not my feelings, right? It's not whether I'm happy with you. It's not whether I get along with you. It's not whether I agree with you politically. It's not any of those things. That my love for other people is grounded and founded. My love for Jesus. That's just how I express it. Verses 9 through 11 then, he would take this theme of darkness and light and, and apply that directly to love and hate. And he's going to say it something like this. He's going to say, like, we've been talking about light and darkness in those two realms. To walk in darkness is to be away from God. To walk in light is to be walking with, in relationship with the Lord. He's going to say, one of the main ways that you can see that is if you're walking in hate for other people, you're walking in darkness. If you're walking in love of other people, you're walking in light. And I'll warn you that it's going to get personal as he talks about it. Verse 9 says this. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You'll notice in verse 9, I want you to, to like look at your text because, again, we, like we need to see that this is God's words. He says, whoever says that he is in the light hates his brother and still is still in darkness. You'll notice that word says, and it's showed up several times, hasn't it? If you look at chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse, chapter 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. Verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 4, Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, the truth is not in him. Chapter 2, verse 6, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Chapter 2, verse 9, our passage, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. We can say anything we want, can't we? Do you know you can hate someone with a smile on your face? Did you know that you can hate someone, look great at them, stand there, have a conversation with them, smile, and you can have hate in your heart for that person, right? Now, I do want to point out, First John here, John is talking about other Christians. Jesus talked about our enemies, loving our enemies, and things like that. John specifically says, hates his brother, brother or sister. This is a Christian's relationship with other Christians. But I want us to think and, and meditate on that word hate a little bit. And I want to ask you this question. Like, what constitutes hate? I'm pretty sure that if I ask for a raise of hands, for those of you who are like, yep, I, I'm like, I think of the person and I totally hate them. 
Most of us aren't like, yeah, that's me. You want to know who it is? No. Most of us don't think of ourselves as hateful people. Most of us think of ourselves as pretty loving people. You might think about one person that you're like, man, I don't like that guy very much, right? But at the end of the day, we're like, what constitutes hate? And someone has said, just as darkness is the absence of light, like hate is the absence of love. So what is hate? It's a failure to love. Did you know that there is active hate, but there's also passive hate? That the failure to love someone can be constituted as hate. One guy said it like this, hate is not just an occasional outburst of anger. It is an attitude that has become a habit. Think of that. It's not just this, we think hate, like, you know, hate crime. We think, you know, anger and frustration and yelling and screaming and police and guns. and all. That's hate. But the more insidious hate that's re, that resides in so many people and they don't even know it is just those constant feelings of disdain for someone. As we think about hate and we think about what that means, man, I want you to see that hate can be subtle. Hate usually is insidious. Hate usually isn't like, I hate that person and I want everybody to know about it. Just look over at verse 11. We'll come back to verse 10, but verse 11 talks about this some more. It says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The darkness had blinded his eyes because hatred blinds us to what God's love has for us. I would suggest to you even this morning that it is possible that you harbor some of those feelings in your heart for someone and you may not even know it. It may be such that you have pushed those thoughts and those feelings down deep into your heart so far and calloused over them so much that you don't even realize it. So I want to ask us some questions this morning. These are questions that I'm wrestling through and I want to ask them pastorally in a loving way it's kind of like a surgeon doing surgery to cut out a tumor, right? It's not always exciting. It doesn't feel good. But man, it's so loving and so necessary. Because I, I really believe that for most of us, we would say, okay, I'm good. I, I don't have hate. But what if we do and we just don't even know it? Think about these questions. Who might it be that you are harboring hate for in your heart? Who has hurt you? Who's the person that has like really hurt you? And as soon as I ask this question, man, I, like I know and I want to be sensitive. This is lo like loving and caring. And this is like we want to we take the calluses off of our heart so that we can have a healthy heart, right? This is like the scalpel of God's word doing its work so that we can have a healthy heart and healthy life. And when I say, who has hurt you? For some of us, it's like, I don't really know that I've been hurt that much. But for others of us, man, it immediately, that face comes to mind. And those things come to mind. And, and I love you and I care about you. And I don't want us to have to carry those things around. Who has hurt you? Who do you find it impossible to forgive? I was talking to somebody this week, not from our church, but somebody else. It was, it was literally, it was a... It's impossible for me to forgive that person. And some of the guidance and counsel that had been given was like, well, it's okay, you don't need to forgive them. You just need to get, move past it. 
That's not what God's word says. But for you, who do you find it like impossible to forgive? And maybe you're just like, I've cut that person out of my life and I'm done, but I'm still harboring all this stuff. I think we have to dig in. Who do you wish nothing but bad for? Put another way, who's that person, if you hear something good has happened to them in their life, man, it really grates you. It really makes you angry. It really makes you frustrated. And again, we're talking specifically other people who are Christians right now, okay? But who is that person? You're like, I don't want anything but bad for them. And when good happens to them, I am like angry. And when bad happens to them, I'm like, yeah, right? Who do you constantly have only negative thoughts about? Man, because you see, hate isn't just my fists. It's not just my words. Hate's also in here, isn't it? And again, I can look at you and smile and say, man, you look nice at church today. And in my mind, I can think, ah, you're such a loser. You're such a jerk, right? Like in my mind, I can be hard. Who do I constantly only have negative thoughts about? Against whom are you holding a grudge that you can't give up? All of those questions are meant to be the scalpel by which we can bring health and healing to our lives. Because verse 9 says, whoever says that he's in the light, whoever says, like, I'm walking with the Lord, I love the Lord, I'm a Christian, but is, hates his brother, is still in darkness, is still walking around in darkness, is still blinded by the darkness. And I would say that doesn't mean that if you're wrestling with those issues that you're somehow not a Christian, but I do believe that that is like darkness in your life that needs to be exposed to the light, right? Needs to be exposed to the light. And I'll say it like this. This is not something, especially if you've been harboring very deep thoughts and feelings, if you've been hurt in a deep way, this is not something to take lightly. This is not something to say, we'll just pray a prayer about it. Just come down to the altar. We'll say a prayer and it'll be all over. Here's a verse. Memorize that and you'll be fine. Okay? I think churches have done that and that's not healthy. What it probably means is meeting together with a pastor or with a, uh, somebody from our church who's like licensed as a counselor. We have those people that can ask you questions and help you dig in, walk through a process that may be a long process, give you things to read, homework assignments to do, get you in the text of God's word so that the scalpel can bring health and can bring healing, so that the spirit of God can do his work. I don't want you to feel like if that's you and you're like, man, I've got this thing in my life, that it's just a simple, like, I'll just pray a prayer real quick. I'll just memorize a verse real fast and then it'll all be over with. Like the things that have happened have happened over the course of time. The stuff that you pressed down inside has been there for a long time. It's going to take time and work to get it out. And that's what keeps most of us just walking around kind of like in this shadow, right? God doesn't want that for you. He has better things for us than that. I want you to believe that, that when it says in verse 11 that they're walking around in darkness because the darkness has blinded their eyes, that you don't have to walk around in the darkness that hate brings. Verse 10 gives us the alternative. Whoever loves his brother abides, remains, lives in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So in one of those places, I want you to look at your text, look at verse 10, because there's a word that's not in verse 10 that I've said it, it is in verse 9, and it is in a lot of other verses in 1 John. You notice that between whoever and loves, the word says is not in there. You see that? No translation. It says, whoever says he loves his brother, 
Why? Because you can say anything that you want. The text says, whoever loves his brother. I don't need somebody to say, hey, I love that person. I don't need somebody to say, no, I've gotten over it. I don't need somebody just to say, hey, you've been forgiven, right? Because we know that love is an action. Love is a real thing that we do. So John's not as interested in what we claim and what we say as he, as he is and what we do, how we think, how we feel, how we act. Whoever loves his brother. You want to abide and live in the light? You want to remain in the light and the, be in the place where God wants you to be? Live in love for other people. We used to have this game when we were in youth group. This will tell you why I'm not a youth pastor anymore. But we called it Pitch Black. And we would, um, we would black out the church. We'd have it late at night. We'd black out the church. The church I worked at as a youth pastor was like a smaller building, lots of nooks and crannies. We would black it out to the point where we would take like trash bags and tape them over the exit signs and everything that we could and make it as dark as possible so when you walked in you couldn't see anything. And then we would play capture the flag. But before we played capture the flag with, you know, 30 or 40 teenagers, we would go in and set up like different traps and different obstacles and things like that that no, no one knew about. And then, as leaders, we would get in there and prepare ourselves, and then we would say, go, and the kids would go running, and it would be crazy. And you would hear, you know, screaming and yelling, and usually you would hear somebody falling over something, crying, and then you turn the lights on, dislocated shoulder, someone's going to the hospital, right? And I made it a good youth group event at the time. Times have changed. But... It's interesting because we actually did this for a point, right? Like it was one of these big events that we would do to, to, to make a point. And so then we would turn the lights on and we would have them run the obstacle course and play capture the flag with the lights on. And they would realize the difference between running around in the darkness and running around in the light. It makes a big difference. In our lives, some of us are just running around stubbing our toe and breaking our legs and doing all kinds of crazy stuff spiritually because we're being blinded by the darkness of hate, of unresolved issues, of baggage and garbage and mess and relationships and all that stuff. And we're being blinded by that. And for some of us, we don't even know it. When God has for us living in his light. The question comes up, do I have to like them in order to love them? I say no. You don't have to like someone in order to love them. But you know what you can't do? You can't treat them poorly, think bad things about them, smile at them, and be two-faced with them, right? We're not going to have the same level of relationship. There are going to be people that just grate on your nerves, right? There are going to be people that you're like, man, that person just bothers me. That's why it's just called the church, because those people that grate on our nerves and bother us are the people that we still have to love even if we don't like them very much. We still have to show grace to and tenderness and kindness and compassion to. In closing this one, I read, I read a, um, an illustration that I think is, is great. And it called love, this guy said that love is the circulatory system of the church. And like the circulatory system in your body brings health and brings nourishment to all of your cells. And as the blood is flowing and doing what it's supposed to do, then there's nourishment for your body and your body functions the way it's supposed to. But what happens when those arteries start to get clogged? What happens when we start to have like, you know, coronary issues and things like that? That's what happens when there's hatred in the body instead of love. When there's relationship difficulty and frustrations and all of those kinds of things. That love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. And so I'll leave you with this passage, this one verse from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus said these words, This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
That's your take-home verse this week. This is my command. It's not my suggestion. It's not my bright idea. It's none of, it's, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus gives us that command to obey, but he gives us that example to follow. And so if God's love is working in your heart, then that it gets expressed by the way that you treat other people.